Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics, it's the Staff and Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tullock. Welcome to the Staff and Graph Podcast. I'm Rachel. Ian is in sunny LA. How you doing? I'm in a closet right now, recording. I, I had to make a makeshift studio here on the fly, and I'm pretty impressed with what I was able to pull off here. I might tweet out a, a picture of it, but yeah, when I came in at the airport at LA, it's funny, they had the AC turned up all the way because of how hot it was outside, so I'm sure that you hate me right now because it was snowy when I left Toronto. Okay, so let me get this straight. You're recording in a closet. I am recording inside of a hockey rink at a coach's office because we're about to leave for a playoff game. So the audio is not what it's going to usually be. But hey, you know what? Here's to a trade deadline podcast under the gun when we're both on vacation. And Andre Kasha was just traded and Rachel didn't see the details of the trade. So I'm going to let her know about him live on the pod here. I'm really looking forward to her reaction. Mm, So... You told me this, like, literally two minutes ago, and you were just like, Kasha's been traded, and I have been under the impression that you were kidding this whole time. So you're being serious. No, no, I'm not happy about it, and you're going to hear why in a second. All right, so... Mm, Okay, this better be good. Andre Kasha to Boston. Oh, my God. For a first-round pick. Axel Anderson. Who? And and David Backus. Uh, Oh my god. Okay. So to take on a bad contract for this year and one more year, they get a, depending on what you think of Axel Anderson, Swedish defenseman who's since come over to the queue, I'd consider him like a B or C level prospect. And they got Andre Kasha, who's under team control for at least uh, another year and a half. And if he can stay healthy, he's one of the more underrated wingers in the NHL. Frankly, I'm surprised that Carolina didn't find a way to acquire him. He seems like they're kind of Nino Niederreiter kind of player. But yeah, as a Leafs fan, I'm not happy. But what a move for Boston, and I'm not quite sure what Bob Murray's doing right now. Hang on. I think LA ends up flipping that back as contract. I don't think they take it on. There's no way I think that they keep him. So I wouldn't be surprised if they if they flipped him somewhere else. I mean, that would be my first kind of thing, I guess. But my God, as it's no surprise, we're both Leaf fans. Um... That bo- that's a fleecing by Boston. Yep. And now uh, I think Dom Lucian tweeted out that they're going to have a DeBrusque, Krejci, Kasha second line to go with that murderer's row first line. Boston's cool. first in the NHL right now, despite having an 0-7 shootout record. Life isn't fair. I've just accepted it at this point. Like, that's genuinely... Why? And, okay, Anaheim drafted Trevor Zegers... That, that's great, but the one thing Anaheim doesn't have a lot of right now is talented players, and Andre Kasha is a talented player. Like, why would you trade him? I so don't get it. Let me try to put myself in Anaheim's shoes right now. I know that I'm not going to contend in the next year or two, so I might okay. as well take on bad salary to try to increase the assets that I can uh, bring in when it comes to this loaded draft. They were able to acquire that first-round pick, and this is a really deep draft, so it's good that they acquired that first-round pick for taking on David Bax's contract. I like Axel Anderson, but it feels like they're giving up on Andre Kasha for no real reason here, and I don't love that. Yeah, I mean, to me, okay, let's call a spade a spade here. That pick that they're getting is going to be 25 or later. They're, but like, it's a loaded draft. That pick's going to have a lot more value But in to be fair, unless you develop is. them, it doesn't matter how loaded the draft is. You could, Anaheim does a great job of drafting and developing, to be fair. Uh, defenseman. I mean, my, my bet would be that that's who they pick in the first round. But again, I'm, I have no way of knowing. Okay, but what point. I'm saying is, is you're trading a guy that has a ton of upside, has performed for you, like he's a good hockey player, for... A defenseman who's, yeah, he's probably like a B-minus prospect. He's a good transitional defenseman. Um, and Anaheim's good at developing defensemen, so okay. And a first-round pick but what concerns and me is that a bad contract? In the queue as a 20-year-old. Okay, but you're trading for that and a bad contract. Like, if anything, the bad contract should be going from Anaheim to Boston. Well, no, but Anaheim clearly is the team that wants to take on the bad contract. I think they even announced that earlier in the year, that they were looking to take on other teams' bad contracts. 
the value of player going and, and not even value of player, the value of asset going uh, from one team to the other, you would think that it would be Anaheim that is able to send a bad contract. Because that's just, to me, for the player that you watch, Kasha's going to be amazing for Boston. I, I, I personally can't wait. He's going to be great for them. And everyone's going to be like, oh, where did this come from? And every single person who's watched Anaheim play is going to say, well, yeah, saw this one coming. And of All course it's of Boston, them. because why wouldn't it be Boston? Because just like, and we'll get to this, Tampa acquiring Blake Coleman... Like, as if these two teams need those kinds of players to add to their already deep rosters. Sometimes we see such teams a trade, trade for, oh you know, third-line, fourth-line, bottom-pairing defenseman at the deadline, and it's kind of boring. This is a legitimate buy by Boston, and I love it for them. As a Leafs fan, I hate it, but it's a really good move for them. Did you want to move on to the Blake Coleman trade for Tampa Bay? Because they're also loading up in the Atlantic Division. Yeah, so I think... Uh, this is going to be a trade. We're just going to break down all the trades that have happened. Um, probably going to be a bit longer of a podcast. Um, we'll see if we can tighten it up here. But Do we want to go you know. Blake, Coleman, Andy Green, or do we want to start with Zucker? Because that was the first one that was made. Tell you what, since we already did Kasha and we're in the Atlantic, how about we do Blake Coleman to Tampa Bay? Okay. And then we'll kind of move our way to the Metro and maybe to the West. Okay, so Blake Coleman... Um, it kind of goes with uh, the New Jersey theme because they made a couple really good deals uh, last week. Um, I was really impressed with the return that Tom Fitzgerald got uh, for Blake Coleman and Andy Green. So Blake Coleman goes to Tampa for Vancouver's first and Nolan Foote. And if the name Nolan Foote rings a bell, it's because he just starred for Canada at the World Juniors. He's the kid with the lethal shot that's six foot four, that skates really well, that got that really phantom hitting from behind penalty. Um, it's also Adam Foote's son, which I know doesn't technically matter, but... Oh, it matters to New Jersey management. That I can uh, tell you for sure. He's a Absolutely good prospect. Matters. I know that we tend to overrate, you know, those big six foot four defensemen, but no, he can actually skate. He can actually make a break pass. And when you combine all those factors, that's a valuable asset. So as much as I love Blake Coleman, that was a steep price to acquire him. But he has more than one year of term on his contract. You're going to get him for this cup run and next year's. And I think he's exactly what Tampa Bay was missing. When you consider the amount of value that he brings without the puck, what he can provide on the penalty kill. Tampa Bay has all the skill in the world, but they need those kind of Blake Coleman-esque players to help complement some of those stars. And I think whether you're playing him in the top six or the third line, you, you use him when you're protecting a lead late in the third period of a playoff game. I think he's exactly what Tampa Bay needed. So I like this so trade for both So I have teams, some actually. fun facts about Blake Coleman. All right, looking forward to it. So you worked for the Devils. So what can you tell me about Blake Coleman? Uh, so first of all, it was a very steep price to pay. Like you're giving up Vancouver's first round pick, which is going to be in the teens. Um, and a real, like, I think Nolan Foote is a, a good prospect. Like he's a, he's a B plus prospect for me. Um, but Blake Coleman is up until this year when he started getting some attention, probably one of the most underrated players in the league. He's an elite penalty killer. And when I mean like elite, this guy is more dangerous on the penalty kill than the team on the power play. Like he ranked, I remember doing, um, some research into it. He ranked first or second in basically every penalty kill metric on the devils. Um, he created almost as many scoring chances at like on the penalty kill as he did five on five um and now this year he's kind of blossomed into this kind of second line talent and everyone knows in the playoffs there's going to be injuries guys are going to get banged up Blake Coleman is your ideal guy because he's by no means a defensive liability um he's quite the opposite but he also can contribute offensively and be depended upon to do that it's not like oh yeah he might score one or two no 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 like he can actually score, and he ranked in the top five in almost every key performance indicator that the Devils had. So, like, this is a... I was pretty surprised because uh, Blake Coleman was universally loved in New Jersey, and so I I knew that if they were going to trade him, it was going to take a big, a big package, and um, I think that they got tremendous value for him, but I also think that he's going to provide something in Tampa that they just don't have. Like, I could see him playing with Sorelli and the other line or the, the team they're playing against just not touching the puck the entire time that they're on the ice. 
Anthony Sorelli should get Selkie consideration this year. He's one of the more underrated defensive players in the NHL. But the thing I love about Blake Coleman is that he provides value without the puck. He doesn't need the puck to have success. So you could play him up in the lineup with a, a Braden Point, a Kucherov, a Stamkos if you wanted to. You could also play him with Sorelli as a checking line to face the other team's best players. He's just kind of exactly what Tampa Bay needed. So... Again, it's a steep price to pay, but I think both teams are going to come away happy with this trade. Did you want to move to Andy Green? Because I did not love that trade. Um, Can I just say I am not in the least bit surprised that this is where Andy Green ended up? Um, You could see this coming a mile away. If there's one thing the New York Islanders needed, it's a defensive defenseman who can't move the puck. Uh, I feel like Andy Green's puck-moving ability is a little underrated because of the metrics that aren't publicly available. Because of the fact that that he tends to face the best players in the world when he probably shouldn't? Uh, Yeah, well, look at New Jersey's defensive roster. Does he have a choice? Who is Elaine Nazardine or, before him, John Hines going to put out there instead? There is a great tweet from Dmitry Filipovich showing the devil's left side defenseman, and it was not pretty. <laughs> it is not ideal. Um, yeah, I think that Andy Green, um, first of all, Lou Lamorello loves him. Uh, that's not a secret. He had a no trade clause, so um, he had to waive. Obviously, he was the captain in New Jersey, so I think, um, and kudos to their staff, um, they did him a solid by saying, okay, like, obviously we're not going anywhere this year. Um, do you want an opportunity to play on a contending team? Um, and obviously the Islanders would have interest just because of the natural connection with Lou and, and the fact that they got a second-round pick for him and a, a prospect that I don't necessarily know is going to play, but um, to get an asset for Andy Green um, that you can use whether it's to acquire more assets or um, to just draft players. Uh, I think it's a good deal, again, for New Jersey, but I think that Andy Green will slot very nicely in with the Islanders, and he's looked pretty good in his first few games. I, I kind of tuned in to watch just to see. Um, he fits really nicely with the Barry Trot system, and so I think it was a really good move uh, on both sides. Okay, I, I disagree just because I don't see the value in terms of giving up a second-round pick for a guy that I think is a third-pairing defenseman at the NHL level. I would have much rather used that asset to acquire someone like a Dylan DeMello. And I know that the hole in the Islanders is on the left side of the ice because I think Adam Pellich just went down with an injury, so that's part of the reason that they made this trade. They thought that, okay, he's going to be the player to come in and help replace that value. But if I look at the Islanders' roster... It's not the defense that concerns me. Barry Trotz can turn anyone into a half-decent, you know, defensively structured team in their own end. I think they need some talent up front. And when you look at what Andre Kasha went for, I think that would have been the much better move for a team like the Islanders. But they seem to just want to be this defensively oriented team who uses all their assets to acquire these defensemen. I get it. But Matt Barzell is the only dangerous player on that team up front, and I would have liked to have used some assets to help the team offensively as opposed to defensively. Yeah, I mean, I think when I say I like it for both teams, I think the Islanders get something they really need, and I think the Devils got a really good asset. Um, So it's one of those things where both teams kind of get something that they need, and those are the best kind of trades in my eyes, um, where no one's getting fleeced like Boston fleecing Anaheim. Um... But both teams are getting something, and obviously, I I think you disagree on Andy Green. I think I might have a little bit more appreciation for him just being around him and having a look at some some of the stats that aren't necessarily publicly available, and what he also brings. And I don't want to be this person, but what he brings in the locker room um, is you can't um, can't get enough of his style when you're trying to compete for a cup. Okay. We can talk about the Brendan Dillon trade real quick because I think it's almost an identical trade. We're talking about a bottom-pairing defenseman who went for a second-round pick and a conditional third to Washington. Uh, I I guess the Sharks had to get rid of him because it's just a disaster of a season for San Jose. They had to get some kind of value. Good on Washington for adding a a player to their roster that's going to provide some kind of value. But again, I feel like you could do better than Brendan Dillon if you're willing to give up a second-round pick. Yeah, I mean, I think it it's good to, on Washington for bringing in uh, some defensive depth. Obviously, in the playoffs, like you need some of that. Um, I, I tend to agree that I don't think you need to give up a second-round pick and a conditional third. Um, 
but we'll see how he fits. I mean, he clearly loved playing in San Jose. There's that media clip of him basically crying when they asked him about uh, potentially being traded, and then he was traded the very next day. Um, and so between Dylan DeMello and Brendan Dillon, um, those are two kind of depth defensemen that go to teams that that need that depth, specifically Winnipeg. Um, cause yeah, can we talk about Dylan DeMello? Because I think that he was my favorite rental on the market on the blue line in that I thought he was underrated. I think the fact that he can play the right side is something that's additional value that's really hard to acquire in the NHL. He's good defensively. He can play in the penalty kill. And for a team that's been playing Tucker Pullman on their top pairing all season, that's I think this not is going to pay huge dividends for Winnipeg. Yeah, I think it's it's something that they definitely need. Obviously, uh, Bufflin's not coming back. They've struggled on the back end, whether it be with injuries or just losing guys. Um, and so bringing in an NHL-proven defenseman that can kind of step in, um, he's not going to be an impact guy, but he's certainly better than what they have right now. I think it was it was a good trade for them. And, and when you look at it from Winnipeg's side of things, that's a small price to pay. Okay, I think the biggest trade that we should talk about in the West, now that we moved out there... Tyler Toffoli. I'm excited for this. This is going to be fun. Um, I Can I just say that Judd Brackett, that poor man, he's their Canucks director of amateur scouting, and I don't know if he's going to show up to the draft this year because they have no picks. <laughs> like, they traded their first. They traded their second. I think they traded their fourth. They have, like, two sevenths. Like, it, that guy just doesn't even need to be there. So the overall trade for Tyler Toffoli, I believe it's Tyler Madden, Tim Schaller, a second and a conditional fourth round pick. Oh my god, that's a lot. What this trade really comes down to is what you think of Tyler Madden as a prospect. Because I saw some Canucks writers that were not happy with the fact that the team basically gave up on Tyler Madden and is really going all in with uh, Tyler Toffoli, adding him to the top six. I don't know if he's going to play with Pedersen. I don't know if he's going to play with Horvat. But bringing in a guy who has 30 goal upside, at least uh, if you you know prorate it per 82 games, I like this trade for Vancouver because I like the idea of them going for it when they have talent and they can make the playoffs this year. I don't love it for the long term of the Canucks. I was going to say, like, um, they don't have Brock Besser and likely won't unless they make the playoffs. So that kind of straps them. I am a huge fan of Tyler Madden. So and if, okay, I will say this. If Toffoli re-signs at a contract that isn't a boat anchor, so re-signs on a, a legitimate value contract, then I think it's a good trade because then you're getting a player that's proven and, okay, both teams get assets kind of thing. If I he always walks, worry about that line of thinking just because at that point, aren't you forcing yourself into re-signing a guy at a contract that you don't necessarily love? No, what I'm saying is if it's like a fit and... It's a value contract. So if Tyler Toffoli, everyone thinks he should earn $4 million, let's say, and they sign him to six and a half, that's terrible. Don't do that. But if they sign him to four years at $4 million, then okay, that that might be good. But to me, first of all, I don't love the Schaller contract, so I, getting rid of that was probably a pretty good thing. But Tyler Madden's a hell of a hockey player. Like, I think he's an NHL hockey player. Um, he's going to be probably second third line guy he's gonna contribute and you give up the draft capital when Vancouver has one of the best drafting records in the past five years I I don't love it I really don't I, I like right now sophomore season I like Tyler Toffoli as a player like I I think he's great I don't love the size of the package that went back is kind of what I'm saying that's fair. Maybe it's just because I love watching the Canucks play hockey this season. I can't get enough of Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson and company. I like the idea of adding a goal scorer to that mix. But again, the price that you're giving up to just maybe get a rental, just two months of a player. Yeah, maybe two months from now, if they miss the playoffs, I, I think, ooh, maybe you shouldn't have given up Tyler Madden. Exactly. And that's the thing is you can't evaluate a trade based on that, right? And to me... Listen, if the Canucks had their first round pick and they had some draft capital, then okay, maybe you give up Tyler Madden because you know you can you got another shot at drafting another really good player, like that kind of scenario. But you're you don't have any picks and now you're trading away your prospects too. 
Like that doesn't bode well. With pressuring a GM to make the playoffs at all costs. Yes, this starts at the Aquilinis and works its yep. way down. But I don't think we can absolve Benning of blame here because he's the one that signed those contracts that have cap strapped them. And so, like, it's at the same time a lot though, of layers here. making that trade for JT Miller. It's really paid off. He's been one of the better 200-foot hockey players in the league this year. Even though it ends up costing you a first-round pick, I can see why you make that trade because you need to make the playoffs. Otherwise, you're out of a job. I just think that's more on ownership than it is on the GM, and I'm not a Jim Benning truther at all. I think that he's done a terrible job over the last few years in Vancouver. But did you, do you think that he needed to give Beagle and Roussel those contracts? Because hey, like those Roussel. are not I think Roussel's good. underrated. Okay, but I, how many times have we seen the Evolving Wild or Micah tweet, don't give third and fourth line players term? Yeah, don't do it. I mean, poor Michael <laughs> Ferlin. This has been a, a year from hell for him. But. I feel bad for him. That's a totally different situation. Like, that's, that's a human being, and you just you have to feel bad for him. But Contract same, aside. It's the same concept, though. He's not a core player, and you gave him, you know, considerable cap hit. Right. Uh, I don't know. Vancouver is a tough team because their young core of Pedersen, Hughes, Horvat, Besser. I like their goaltending. Markstrom's the man right now, but it's it's clear that the, the the future is going to be Thatcher Demko. I like what this team can conceivably be in a few years. But like you said, they've given up so many of their future assets that they're kind of in win now mode right now, and they're not ready, in my opinion, to contend for a cup right now. So. It's basically Jim Betting trying to save his job at the cost of future wins. I don't love that if I'm a Canucks fan because I look at Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. They're going to be better in a couple of years, and you've just given up potential pieces that could help complement them in those contending years. So it's tricky. You, you can get carried away with the success right now, and if they make the playoffs, it's really fun. But long term, do you love what Vancouver's doing? Yeah. Uh, I haven't loved it. Um... Okay, so staying in the Pacific, Alec Martinez to Vegas for two second-round picks? That would have been a great trade five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's not the same I, player anymore. And people I, what was, it, was it Dom like that is, tweeted that that really was a terrible weird. trade? I don't get why Alec Martinez has been so high on people's trade lists. And we see Pierre Lebrun and company talking about how, ooh, this is going to be a very good trade for Vegas. And I just don't think it is. I think Alec Martinez isn't good anymore. What was interesting is everyone is pushing this narrative a couple weeks ago um, that the Leafs were looking at Martinez. And I kind of, having watched him, I'm like, that doesn't seem like a Dubas type of defenseman. And then they made the trade with LA for Campbell and Clifford. And it came out like... 24 hours after Dreger said, oh, like they're looking at Martinez, that the Leafs have just no interest in Martinez at all and that he was never discussed because he's not something um, that the Leafs see as a fit. So that was kind of interesting is sometimes, and Lord, Toronto media is a mess right now just because of of the fandom and everything that's kind of happening, but they don't need to be linked to every single defenseman and especially not if you have to give up two second round picks for him like that's a third pairing guy is it not i always wondered how good alec martinez actually was because he played a lot of time with either jake muzzin or drew doughty and those two guys have been at even strength top pairing defensemen throughout their career until drew doughty fell off a cliff last year but now that the king's don't have those elite quality defensemen. You're seeing Alec Martinez later in his career. Ooh, he's not a first-pairing guy. I don't even think he's a second-pairing guy. He's a third-pairing guy right now, and you gave up two second-round picks for him. I don't love it. I don't love it for Vegas. I like it for LA. I think this is good. You know, get get those assets. They have uh, they got Trevor Moore from the Leafs, which I think is a nice little add for them. Got a couple second round picks here. I like the the package that they got for Jake Muzzin. I'm wondering who else they look to sell off because they've acquired a ton of assets for the future. I'm not sure what their future looks like when you have Doughty and Kopitar on those long term contracts that are paying them more than they're actually worth. But I do like the moves that LA's been making lately. So when you look at it, let's not forget that they already have a prospect list that includes these seven guys. Alex Turcotte, Arthur Kaliev, Rasmus Kupari, Tobias Bjornfoot, Kale Clegg, Samuel Fagamo, and Akil Thomas. 
I am pretty, yeah, every single guy that I just named has played for their country at the world junior level. I don't think any of them are beyond a second round pick. Like, those are some serious prospects. And they then you add Tyler Batten. are going to have a top five pick this year. I like the idea of the future in L.A. I like the me idea too. of what they're doing. But again, it reminds me a bit of the Blackhawks in that when you have $9 million committed to Drew Doughty. And, or sorry, it's more than that. How much, how much is Doughty and Kopitar being paid right now? I don't know. Here, I think me... Doughty negotiated his contract himself. Uh, I want to say I that he's getting 11. I want to make sure I get this right. I don't like misinforming people. Let me go to Cap. Is it more than Carlson? Here. So Kopitar is making 10 million. Doughty's making $11 million. Oh my God, until that's a lot. 2026 for Doughty until 2024 for Kopitar. That's the tough part here. I don't know if you're getting out of those contracts. And yes, those are decent players, but they're not worth that money anymore. It makes it hard to turn things around. I'm not sure what the blueprint is moving forward when you have those guys making so much money, but if you can bring in first-round talent year after year, I think eventually this roster is going to have players that you've heard of, and that's going to be a good thing. (laughs) It's not going to be a guy used in a name generator, which is basically what the Pittsburgh Penguins are doing right now with their bottom six. Mark Donk, superstar. (laughs) Like Quite literally, I looked at their roster the other day. I'm like, half of these guys are not real people. Like, it's funny, Anthony Angelo scored a goal. I'm like, wait, that's not Anthony <laughs> D'Angelo. That's Anthony Angelo, who's a made-up NHL 20 creator player. And he scored a goal against the Leafs because, of course, he did. But it's funny, the LA Kings, I think, over the last few years, when you're going through their team page and you're trying to figure out who's on their roster, you go, Fattenberg? There's no, that's not a real player. And it's just a bunch of made-up names. And I think once they start to get some of those prospects in the system and in the NHL in a few years, Rasmus Kapari is someone I'm looking forward to seeing. Carl Grundstrom is someone I've always been a big fan of. I like the idea of this team, but again, you're not going to win without high-end talent. I think they need to win one of those lotteries and get a top two or three pick this year if they're going to be a legitimate kind of rebuild in the in the way that they want to change things right now. Because as of right now, they seem like they're kind of stuck they're not really sure how they're going to fix things, but I can see the blueprint of what they're trying to do. And at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to lottery luck, whether or not that's going to change the fortunes of this team. Okay, so then you got one more trade, and that's Marco Scandella from the Habs to St. Louis for a second and a conditional fourth. And what's interesting about this is the Habs acquired Scandella for a fourth round pick earlier this year. So I can't imagine that Buffalo fans are all that thrilled. That he was just flipped for a second and a conditional fourth. I want to hear Caller Dwayne's thoughts on this. <laughs> Dwayne, bless that man. Um, I like. I thought that is first class asset management right there. You know when you said, you know what's interesting about this trade? I was gonna say nothing. It's Marco Scandella. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you don't care. Um, and to be fair, like it's not a guy that's gonna move the needle. But Bergevin's active. Like he's been basically living in Colorado. They randomly called up Martin Kelt the other night, who I knew that, like the Habs are high on him. Um, I think I've always I have, liked him. He was drafted by Colorado in the first 16th round. 16th overall. Uh, did really well in the men's track league as a teenager. I like him. I am. I don't think he's as high end as people think he is. Like I, he's not a top line winger. He's not Miko Rantanen. No, no, no. I, I see him as more of a productive middle six guy. Maybe he ends up being Blake Coleman at the NHL level, which you're happy with. Yes. Um. So I think that basically Bergevin is living in uh, Colorado right now, and the fact that there's goalie rumors swirling, and everyone's done the math and has realized that the Avs are capable of taking on Carey Price, I don't think that's going to happen. I just love um, the idea of it, in theory. It's just fun. maximum chaos? Yeah. It's part of the reason it's I want to trade for P.K. Subban. Not because I think it's a great oh, idea, God, but no. just it makes the league so much more fun. Yeah, no. That is... The Leafs need a right-handed defenseman, and P.K. Subban is not the right-handed defenseman they need. Can I offer you a Damon Severson, though? I'll take a Damon Severson. I'll mm, definitely take a Damon Severson. Yeah, I would take a Damon Severson, too. On the um, topic of Bergevin, though, there's rumors that the Habs are looking to re-sign Ilya Kovalchuk. I know that they're thinking about trading him. They're going to see what they can get for him. But they're looking at re-signing him on a one-year deal. 
somewhere in the three, three and a half million dollar neighborhood with bonuses that could go up to five million. I get that they need goal scoring, but I'm not sure if this is the solution. I get that he's done well there, but whenever a player goes on a shooting percentage bender and then starts negotiating a contract, I'm thinking, no, just stop if you're the GM. Just wait for him to cool down before you cash in on this. Yeah, like I, I agree with the bonus side of it. I think Yager actually did that for a number of years, just like one-year deals with a bunch of bonus money. Like Ginla, um, Chara, we see it from a lot of older players. Right. Do I think he's been a fit in Montreal? Absolutely. You can't really debate that. Um, they have no one else who can score. But also Nick Suzuki lately. I don't know if you... I've watched the Habs a lot lately because I have a friend who's a massive Habs fan. Um, Nick Suzuki is uh, really good. I'm not shocked. I've always loved him. I advocated for him to get drafted in the top 10 in his draft year. He's just a really skilled yeah, player who makes everyone really around him better. Good. I love him. Um, and I think that the rumors are that Thomas Tatar might be traded. To me, I don't see a problem with re-signing Kovacuk, especially if it's a one-year deal. And it's bonus-laden. But it, I don't think it needs to get up into the five, six million dollar range in terms of what it could cost you on the cap. If it's a two million dollar contract with potentially two million dollars in bonus money, you, he probably doesn't hit all of them, so it likely ends up being in the three, three, two, five range. That I can deal with, but I think that's a conversation for the summer. Like, I and really I do. This, I think you wait to see the rest capology, of the season. But the idea of bonus money is that it'll roll over into the next season. So in a weird way, it helps you compete compete in the here and now while pushing problems off to a bit later, which when you're the Habs and carry price is slowly deteriorating, I think it makes a bit of sense to have more bonus laden contracts. Okay, so I think, did we get everyone? Oh, Jason Zucker. <laughs> How did we forget that? I, we moved... From the east to the west, we totally forgot Jason Zucker. I think it's because we just know that the Penguins are amazing and it doesn't matter who plays for them. So, oh yeah, sure, they got Jason Zucker. Of course he's going to do well there. Okay, so, but they gave up Addison and a first. And I know you and I watched the World Juniors. We were both impressed with Kalen Addison. So I've had conversations with people in hockey where I am on the side of Kalen Addison and there are some smart people who do not love Kalen Addison. So the, the argument is that he's more of a power play quarterback who at even strength doesn't defend well, doesn't move play up the ice. Kind of the Tyson Berry problem in Toronto right now. I've always argued that when you have a guy with that kind of talent, you can teach him some of that other stuff. And eventually he'll become that second pairing guy that you shelter a little bit. But he has that dynamic offensive ability that you can't teach. And it's hard to acquire talent like that. So... I like the idea of this for both teams because Jason Zucker playing with Sidney Crosby. You saw it in that Leafs He's game. He's already paying stomped. dividends. It's, uh, it's, he's going to score a lot of goals. He's, he's a goal scorer. And when you have guys who can pass him the puck named Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby, he's going to put the puck in the net. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk's basically a throw-in here because he's been a disaster this season. Uh, Pittsburgh, I think if we got to the playoffs and Galchenyuk was still on the roster, I think he would be healthy scratched. I think it's been that bad of a fit in Pittsburgh. Maybe he figures it out in Minnesota. I know that they took a chance on Kevin Fiala, hoping that he could kind of figure things out there. Maybe they're hoping for something similar here, but Alex Galchenyuk has been to a few different teams now where he hasn't worked out. I'm wondering if we need to admit that maybe Alex Galchenyuk isn't as good as we thought he was in his prime. So, okay. Jason Zucker has played five games for Pittsburgh as of the recording of this podcast. He has points in four of those games, I believe. Three of no, three well, of the games because one of the games was a shutout. Because the Leafs shut them out for nothing, and what was my favorite Leafs report cards to do of the season because it came after two embarrassing performances, one of which was to the Pittsburgh Penguins. But thank God the Leafs actually made my life somewhat livable in LA over these next few days because it was looking bleak. Zucker's been playing with Crosby, and I think in his last game they tried him with Malkin but when you have a guy that could pass the puck the way Crosby can and Zucker is very good at just going to the net with a stick on the ice and using his speed to get to spots that Crosby can get him the puck that just makes it so much more dangerous for Pittsburgh because Gensel's done for the year but they still have Brian Rust who's playing really well now you add Zucker to it I'm sure you could put insert name generator guy here and they would be fine too. But it's one of those things where Pittsburgh knows, and I really like this from Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh, their window is 
when Crosby and Malkin are playing. As soon as those guys retire, Pittsburgh is going to be bad. So that's just kind of how it is. I really admire the fact that Jim Rutherford is saying, listen, I got two of the best players on earth. I'm going to trade assets and go for it every single year I have them. It makes sense, and draft well, and then use those players as assets to bring in players who can help you win right now. Right, and you know what? If you're bad for four or five years after Crosby and Malkin retire, you know, I think if you have, well, they already have three cups, but if you have four or five, I think the fan base will be able to manage themselves. Yeah, you can block out any of the criticism by just plugging those Stanley Cup rings in your ears, Patrick Law style. (laughs) Exactly. I think that, and that's one of those things where... We always talk about, oh, a GM's going for it. Is this a good idea? Is it not? This is one of those instances where I am really happy that Jim Rutherford isn't conservative and is going for it consistently because I think that it's in much, much like Edmonton where it's a disservice to every hockey fan when McDavid isn't in the playoffs. It's a disservice when Sidney Crosby's team isn't competing for the Cup. And I mean, you have done a top a really five good job. player of all time who still is playing at a high level. You have Evgeny Malkin, who's the 101st best player in the NHL history. <laughs> I feel like he can confidently and crack the 100 now. I think he might have. It's tough to say. I don't know. Is, uh, is, is Patrick Kane going to bump him out? It's tough to say. But on Jason Zucker, there was a great article I read by Jesse Marshall, who, by the way, has done excellent stuff at the Athletic Pittsburgh. I'd recommend reading his stuff. He does a really good job of looking at the video, explaining the numbers, and trying to break things down in a smart way. And he was showing how Jason Zucker does an excellent job of getting open. And when you're playing with Sidney Crosby, that's the most important thing. Can you get open because Crosby will find you? There was an awesome clip. I, w- I don't know if it was Dmitry Filipovich or if it was Down Goes Brown, but they, uh, they showed a little a quick clip, and they said, quote-unquote, oh, it's so hard trying to find guys who can play with Sidney Crosby. And it's him making a backdoor pass to Zucker for an easy tap-in. And it's just, yeah, <laughs> that's going to happen a lot this year because Crosby can find guys, Zucker can get open. I think that the chemistry is going to work on that line. Agreed. All right, so that's kind of what has happened. We'll move to our Kovalev shift, which, of course, is going to be trade-related. Um... It's brought to you by Major League Socks at ML Socks on Twitter. You can use the code STAFFGRAPH for 15% off your purchase. There's free shipping. It's great. Um, sticking with the trade theme, who hasn't done something or who needs to do more? Who needs to do more? It feels a bit biased to say the Leafs, so let's think of some other teams. Who comes to mind immediately for you? Calgary. Okay. I'm not sure if this is going to be uh, outdated by the time the podcast gets out. I've been hearing a lot about Tyson Berry being traded out west. Um, also, did you, and I don't think, like, please take this with a grain of salt, Johnny Goudreau took out the Calgary Flames from all of his social media profiles? <laughs> like, what? That might just be, you know, weird petty stuff. We, we saw similar stuff with Steven Stamkos back when he was negotiating his contract. Yeah, but Goudreau signed, like, under contract. Maybe he's just pissed. I don't know. I, I can't get in the mind of an NHL player who's going through a frustrating season. Yeah, maybe he's just upset. But I think, yeah, I think Calgary's got to do something. So if they were to acquire someone like Tyson Berry, who has been rumored to go to them or Vancouver, what do you give up? What's the what's the trade package look like? Depends. Does it come with a contract extension? Because Ooh. if it's like a Mark Stone situation where it comes with a contract extension, then I think the package is obviously a little bit bigger. Um... I would, it's probably like, for me, it's probably a, a B prospect in a pick. Um, and certainly not a first round pick, like probably a second or a third. Hey man, if Brendan Dillon is going for a second and a conditional third, you, you don't think Tyson Berry can fe- fetch you a first round pick? Well, I would, here's the thing. If you can get, first of all, if you can get Tyson Berry off the books for a first round pick and don't forget the Leafs only have 50% of his salary negative assets (laughs) exactly no but what I'm saying is is the Leafs are only paying him three two five I think so if you can get a first round pick then by all means do it because the Leafs don't have a first round pick this year um and I think Calgary 2.75 it's just under 2.75 um it was half of his original salary which was five and a half Colorado's eating half of it Right. Yeah, I think he'd be really, really good in Calgary. Um, TJ Brody isn't as good as he used to be. Mark Giordano is still out, although he's skating now, so I'm thinking he's probably going to come back. I think Travis Hamanick's hurt. Like, 
they're struggling Rasmus on the blue Anderson line. is someone I like, but again, they're more betting on his upside with that contract than the here and now where he's been... I don't know yes. if underwhelming is the right word because I love his talent, but he hasn't proven himself to be worth that contract just yet. Um, I could conceivably see a situation where Sam Bennett's involved. Sam um, just because I think he, he, I think he needs a change of scenery is really what I think it boils down to. Um, this sounds like Curtis Lazar again to me. I think it's just a player that we expected to be good who ended up not being good. I think I disagree there. I think there's a ton of upside, and I don't really think he was ever given a, an actual opportunity to play with the higher-end guys in Calgary the way Matthew Kachuk was, because I like Matthew Kachuk wasn't very good in his rookie year to start, and he just didn't get hurt, whereas Sam Bennett ended up getting hurt, I believe, and then he just never got another opportunity. Um, So I think he could benefit from... like I could see Calgary trading him, obviously not to Toronto, but... um. Like, I could see them moving him, whether it's now or at the su- in the summer. But as far as the deadline goes, yeah, they need some help on D. Big time. So Do you think Columbus a makes a, a buy-now move? Because the race for that eighth playoff spot in the East is going to be really tight down the stretch. I don't, because they just lost Oliver Bjorkstrand to injury. They, I think Allison Lucan tweeted that at no point since December have they had less than five regulars out of the lineup. So, like, there's just so many injuries and so much money coming off and on, and you really don't know what you can and can't do. Um, I also think that once they actually get the bodies back, that they're going to be fine. And so you go start acquiring, and then maybe the roles change, the chemistry's not the same. Like, if I don't see them making a splash, per se. I can see them doing minor stuff. On Montreal, he's he's on Colorado. Were you thinking of a different name? No, that's what I'm saying. Is Montreal likes Martin Kout? Ah, uh, they wanted him as part of. The yes, okay. that's what. I, I'm which just is looking at Colorado right now, and I'm thinking, man, they have the assets to pull off something big, and I'm not sure oh, if yeah. it's out there. You know, sometimes trades come out of left field, and we're really surprised by them. I'd like the idea of Colorado using some of their young futures to bring in a player who can help them now. I don't know what that trade would be, but they definitely have the cap space and the assets to pull it off. Yeah, when you look at Colorado's prospects, Bowen Byram is at the top. Um, I don't think they want to trade him, though. I think he could conceivably play in the top four next season. Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. It would have to be a knock-your-socks-off type of situation um, where they're getting a legitimate asset. Like, I Somehow, there's like a really dumb part of me that says if... Joe Sackick decides he wants to acquire Carey Price, that Bowen Byram is an asset that goes back, and I'm just like... Oh my god, that would be such a bad trade. I just don't... This is why I don't think it can Isn't happen, because I think... Carey Price a negative asset at this point when you look at the tail end I of that contract? I don't think so. I don't think he's a negative asset. I think that, that, that that's a little the worst contract in the NHL in, in two or three years. Can I introduce you to Drew Doughty? Can I introduce you to Mark Edward Vlasic? Oh my god, that's a yeah. But it's one of those things where I could see Mark Bergevin trying to make a deal like that. And he knows, first of all, Montreal doesn't have just one language that everyone is yelling and screaming at them in. They have two. And there's a TMZ dedicated to the team. So if Bergevin thinks he's going to trade Price and not get significant assets back, they're just going to burn the building down. Like it's, the real it's question, no is chance. Gerard Gallant French enough to be Montreal's head coach? He has a French-sounding name. I don't know if he speaks two words He of does French, speak French. But you could convince someone that Gallant could be the next head coach in Montreal. <laughs> oh my... I See, that is not even a trade thing. Like I, First of all, I don't think Montreal should be going for it. Um... The whole Weber thing was a little interesting. Like, oh, it's a might be a career-ending injury. Oh, nope, he's playing now. Like, what? How did you manage that? Um, and so, I think Sakic wants to make a splash. And if there's a GM that has the the nuts to do it, I think it's going to be Bergevin. <laughs> um, but I just I don't see how Bergevin can win a trade unless. Mm, does Colorado acquire Tatar? I mean, Thomas Tatar doesn't get traded enough at the deadline, so I'd, no. I'd love to see it. He's the new... Who's the guy that always got moved at the deadline? Ah, uh, Thomas Vanek. 
<laughs> Lee Stevniak, both of them. Yeah, I think um, Calgary's got to do something. I think Toronto needs to do something. Um, I think We've Colorado been saying that Edmonton should acquire something. top six, top nine forward forever now. And Tyler Ennis, maybe. I mean, John Gabriel Pajot. Yo, Pajot's the name I'm most interested in seeing if he gets moved. It sounds like Ottawa wants to resign him, and that makes zero sense to me. I love Pajot. I think he's a good player. I just don't see how he fits with their timeline. Well, it depends. Okay, if Ottawa wins the lottery and gets either Lafreniere or Byfield, it's very much like what happened in Toronto with Matthews. That timeline gets moved up. Because but we can not do that only with had... every team. If you win Alexi Lafreniere, it changes the way that your franchise is going to make decisions over the next couple of years. Right, but you know you've won that lottery in April. So if you win that lottery, and this it's not like trade related per se, but then you can re-sign Pajot because then the timeline gets moved up. The problem is is you don't know that yet. So to me, I would move Pajot and revisit it in the summer if he wants to re-sign. If you win the lottery and you want to re-sign him, then, okay, you've traded him for assets and then you've gone ahead and re-signed him. Like, that's I don't a, get why teams don't do that thing. more often. I guess because players, once they're traded, it feels a bit like they're betrayed. And I, I can see that. If I'm a worker working for a company and all of a sudden they tell me that I'm, I'm moving to some different city for two months, I gotta move my family or whatnot, yeah, I wouldn't love that. And when they ask me if I want to re-sign with them, I'm thinking, well, you just traded me when I didn't want to be traded. So... I guess that's why we don't see it as often as as we'd probably like to from teams who were thinking, hey, get an asset for this guy and then bring him back because we love him. I also think there'd be collusion accusations. Yeah, but we've seen it a few times. I know, but if it starts becoming a habit, you, I could see people accusing people. Although, let's not pretend that there's not some shady things that go on in the front offices of NHL teams that don't go... Uh, reported. I was going to say, um, speaking of collusion, how's that Kevin LeBanc decision to make a, oh, a $1 million one-year uh, kind of decision to help the Sharks out? How's that That's a fire-your-agent situation. That that's is a fire-your-agent. That's why fire you agent. don't make decisions like that and you always look after yourself, but hey, that's another conversation for another day. We should probably hop off the ice. We've been on here way too long. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. All right, do we have any last-minute mailbag questions we need um, to get Are to? you going to do the, the ad part at the end? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. As we get off the ice, it says on the boards here that Major League Socks is uh, one of the best sock providers in, in the NHL. I, I have my Bab Socks. I love them, and I encourage you to go to Bab Socks slash Major League Socks, whatever you want to call them, and use the code STAFFGRAPH, all one word, and you get a discount. What is the discount on the socks that you get? 15%. 15% off. That's more than tax in Canada, so hey. And free shipping. And free shipping, there you go. All right. Promo code StaffGraph, Major League Socks. Mailbag time. Um, let's, we kind of touched on this earlier, so maybe this is a bit of a shorter question. Maybe a, a yes-no with two sentences. Is Vancouver a contender, or did they give up too much in the Miller to Foley trades? So, JT Miller's been so good that I'd say, you know what? You can talk me into that being a good trade for them. Me too. Tyler Toffoli one comes down to what you think of Tyler Madden. You love Tyler Madden. I'm not as convinced that he's going to be a, you know, a top six contributor. So, I'd say in a vacuum, they didn't give too much up for JT Miller. But I think this overall trajectory they've been on over the last year or so, where they're giving up so many future assets really going for it in 2020, I don't think that's the right path for this team. I think their path to contention is 2022, 2023. Those are the years you should be looking to peak, and it feels like Jim Benning and ownership wants them to peak right now, and I don't think that's the right move for this team. Right. I think that they maybe gave up a little bit too much of their capital, um, and especially with uh, all the draft capital that they've kind of conceded over the the past 365 days um but it remains to be seen right Besser's injured and Quinn Hughes just might win rookie of the year and yeah let's talk about that for a second if anyone that has a voting right votes for anyone other than Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes in the one two slots in your Calder ballot 
you're either a homer or not paying attention. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I was having this conversation with someone the other day. How would you, because you write, you write for The Athletic. How would you justify having anybody but those two as your top two for the Calder? All right, so if I'm Dmitry Filipovich and I'm going to make the case for John Marino, <laughs> I'm <laughs> going is- to say that Quinn Hughes and Kale McCart aren't trusted to kill penalties and they don't go up against the top competition, whereas John Marino's trusted more heavily. And he's only played 50 coaches. odd games. Sorry? He's only played like 50 games and he's injured. <sighs> okay. So that's that out. Like, gonna, I'm hearing people say, like, Mackenzie Blackwood should be up for the Calder. I'm like, are you oh, get nuts? out of here. Mackenzie Blackwood's not even a good goalie. Well, he's won five straight. Okay, so we'll give him that. But, like, Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes are just so far ahead of everybody else. And then you've got Nick Suzuki, Dominic Kubalik in Chicago, Victor Olofsson. Like, we have a litany of other rookies that you could put on your ballot at this point. John Marino... I don't know if Tristan Jari games? counts as a rookie. How um, many games does Tristan Jari need to start for him to be a legitimate contender for the Calder? He probably needs six or seven more wins. Oh, Maybe oh more. God. You went with the wins number. That's ridiculous. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that's how I would evaluate it. I'm saying we know that's how the PHWA uh, evaluates it. And I had to right. figure so out what the acronym was. He's one save percentage in 29 games so far. Yeah, that's I think not if enough. he starts 35 to 40 games... I think he's got to play 40 games. He has to play 40 games. 40? Because... To, when did like, Bennington play when he won? Oh, uh, I... Th- mm, I think he played... Well, that's a bit of a different situation because he came in in January and basically played the rest of the year. And they went he on that run. 32 games at a 927. But he... Think about what he did. That's think the thing. Think what Jari's doing. That team's been unbelievable this year, does, despite does, all those injuries. Did St. Louis have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin? Did the Penguins have Sidney Crosby for most of this season? They didn't. Ah, uh, yes, they have. He wasn't out for all that yeah, long. Yeah, but not for most of the season. And, okay, St. Louis was in last place when they brought up Bennington, and he took them not only to a playoff spot, which is really where it matters— but he went on this run where he played almost every game for them from January onward. Yeah, Jari the isn't team that. In front of him also played really well. I know, but Jari isn't that. He isn't playing, and they're not going on this run, so he's not going to get any attention. See, I think if you're making the Bennington case, you got to include Tristan Jari in the conversation. I see. I didn't even like the Bennington case, so I didn't love it either. But I yeah. know a lot of people did. So I'm just saying, if that's the argument you made in the past. Tristan Jari should be in that conversation. But he, he's still not in the same category as Hughes and Makar. That's kind of my point, is people are having this discussion of, oh, well, maybe someone else I'll put second on my ballot or whatever. Like, how can you think that those two aren't the best rookies in the NHL this year? I mean, you could make legitimate Norris uh, uh, yeah. debate for those two players. You could make a good case. You could make... A better case than a lot of other defensemen, for sure. And when you talk about towards right now, season ends today. Quinn Hughes, Kel McCarr. Um, I think I would probably go with Quinn Hughes. It's funny because earlier in the season, Kel McCarr would have been my pick. But it's very close for me. Like it is. I think Quinn Hughes has won me over lately. But again, it's going to come down to these last 20 or so games of the season. Right. As much as we don't like to admit it, playoffs are going to factor in. If the Canucks get in, I bet you Quinn Hughes wins it. If the Canucks yeah. don't make the playoffs, I bet Kale you Kale McCarr, McCarr wins, wins it. it. A lot but of the times I think it has to be one of those to. two. Like, I don't think you can, you can rightfully say that anyone's been better than one of those two this year. Again, on Tristan a nightly Jari basis. Could make the argument, but I don't love it either. But he hasn't played enough. Like, when you think of how many minutes Quinn Hughes has played, how many minutes Kale McCarr has played versus Tristan Jari, like, it, I just, I don't think the impact's been as big there. I mean, to be fair, goaltenders have a disproportionate impact on the game, so they don't need to play as many minutes as a defenseman or a forward, but... I see, I see what you're saying. I, I would personally vote Quinn Hughes if the season ended today. I think I'd go Hughes, McCarr, Jari as my top three. Mm, I might go... See, to me, this whole, like... I don't know if you can even count Tristan Jari as a rookie. It, like, 
Hey, I don't just, make that rule. Our Temi Panarin won Rookie of the Year. Is yeah, and I totally it's disagree like with that. Like Hideki Matsui winning Rookie of the Year at age like 28. Like my my ballot might say if I was the top three because I think you get to pick five. It would be yeah Hughes Makar and probably Nick Suzuki. His, how many games Nick Suzuki played this year? A lot, I think. Like he's he's pretty much played consistently since November. Oh, he's played and 63 on, games, like, 40 points in 63 like, games. Yeah, like he's... Quietly having a great year. Good for him. I really like exactly. him. Exactly. And the Panarin thing, you can make the argument for League as well. Like, he's older. Tristan Jari's older, too. Like, it's it's kind of one of those things where, to me, like, you've got two true rookies that are making huge impacts on the game. And It's part of what, the reason I've always hated the fact that... Remember when Barrett Jackman won Rookie of the Year back in the day? I'm thinking, this guy's a man. And there's like 18 and 19-year-olds who should probably be winning this award. But maybe we need to change the definition of what a rookie is in the NHL. Yeah. Okay. Is it harder to evaluate 14 and 15-year-olds to draft into like the CHL, USHL, or 17 and 18-year-olds for the NHL? I'd make the argument that it's more difficult to evaluate a younger player. Me too. Because there's so many more factors that are difficult to account for, like puberty. Yeah, I was going to say, like, growing. Yeah. You have a kid who hasn't hit puberty. You have a kid who has hit puberty. How do you know what the growth curve of that player who's, you know, 100 pounds is going to look like? It's it's tough at age 14. You know, Mitch Marner at age 14, how do you know what he's going to look like three years from now? Whereas once you have someone who's a bit more developed physically... It's easier to evaluate a 20-year-old, a 19-year-old, an 18. As you get older, it's much easier as to you, know what By the you're time you're be. 18 as a male, you're pretty much done growing. And it's part of the reason. It's like when guys hit puberty early, I'm always skeptical because I'm thinking, hmm, this is someone who's beating up on younger kids physically, but does he have the talent to do it against men at the next level? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. It's, it's a trickier assessment, but I'll always say that the younger someone is, the tougher of a time I have evaluating them because they're so far away from what they're going to be in their prime. So, like, I'll give you a perfect example, and it's only because it's right at the top of my head because I'm going through and dealing with it right now. My brother is 16. When I left for New Jersey, he was four foot nine, maybe four foot ten. Okay. So you just shot up like a foot and change. This kid came to visit me in April, which was like three or four months later, and was my height. Since then, so now we're talking a year, 18 months, he is now 5'11". Like, the kid is massive. He's put on probably 40 pounds, and he's still a lank, like if anyone's seen a picture of me my brother's basically got the same body type um but when you look so he's a golfer right And when you evaluate a four foot ten kid he can't hit the ball nearly as far well he's now 16 and 511 and he hits the ball 300 yards on a consistent basis so when you're talking about having to evaluate for puberty and you're looking at a 14 15 year old if a kid's physically mature at that age i feel like i'd be more concerned by that because how much room is there for impactful growth and muscle development and all the weird things I'm studying at school versus when you're evaluating 17 and 18 year olds, there's a little bit more that can go into it, right? You can look at, okay, they, they're probably going to be this tall. They're not going to grow another two inches or three inches. They, what is their muscle definition? Like, is there room for growth there? A lot of things are like a lot of the growth plates are done um so now you're looking at ligament strength as opposed to bone strength and uh it's it's almost a totally different thing because you could be injury prone when you're young because your bones break a lot easier since you have the growth plate but then once you are done growing it's basically your ligaments that are the vulnerable ones so it's a completely say, different hey, thing. It's so hard to draft 14 or 15 year olds. Look how well the London Knights have done it. I'm just going to say that you look at the players <laughs> that they're able to draft and convinced to come to London versus the players that if another organization drafted them, they wouldn't be going to that organization. Just mm. throwing that out mm. there. This is back to my Mark Hunter and Dale Hunter tweet from earlier. I think they're good, but I think they're overrated. I'm still going to stick to that. Ian Pigeon Graf. Yeah, baby. All right. We should probably get out of here, right? Um, yeah, I think maybe one more thing, and you could probably speak to this. Tips for data students that want to get experience at university working in sports. 
I mean, I think you know more about when it comes to working in hockey because I've done it more as a writer on the outside looking in, whereas you've done Yeah, but if you more. want to get in on the writing side, like, how did you do it? I just started writing on Reddit. Like, I, I just put your work out there. If it's good, people will eventually notice it. See, uh, I've, I would never have known you then because I have never logged on to Reddit in my life, and I absolutely refuse to. No, that, that's fair. all but I've heard is that it's terrible. Someone saw me, and, and I started writing at Leafs Nation, and then Myrtle saw my work at Leafs Nation, and he wanted me writing there, and... Just if you oh, consistently okay. keep putting work out, if you put out, whether it's a podcast or writing and you put it out consistently and it's high quality, eventually I think someone will see it and they'll recognize that it's good. You need, you know, you need to be lucky to be good in this industry, but I think if you're a quality writer, just, you know, keep putting out good stuff and eventually you should hope that things will turn out well. But again, if you're planning on doing this as a career, I have a backup advise against it and say, do it as a hobby is something you love, have other career plans. And if it works out, it works out. But the odds of making it in the sports journalism, sports journalism industry in 2020, it's, uh, it's, it's not super uh, likely that you're going to make a a living off of this for to feed a family. So just, I would say for, I guess the staff side of things, as opposed to the writing side of things, um, if you're, a data student, you would be shocked, specifically if you're at a Canadian university. There are two schools, and uh, I am one of the people at one of the schools that have any type of data or analytics or anything associated with their hockey teams. Um, I can't speak to other sports, but quite literally, you could show up at the coach's office or send the coach an email because they're all listed and just say, hey, like I'm a data student. I'm interested in working with a hockey team. I'll just put this out there right now. You aren't getting paid and you probably won't get paid for two or three years. So make it a hobby, like Ian said. But all you have to do is present yourself and say, listen, like I understand hockey. I'm willing to help. I'd like an opportunity. And then you literally just have to do what they ask of you. And they could ask you for the most rudimentary, easy things. And you have to do that. But the first step, honestly, is to have some type of you got to be able to show them, okay, this is the data that I've manually tracked before meeting you, and this is what I've done with it, because it's about how you can help them. They don't need to help you to succeed, but if you can help them succeed, the odds are, A, they're going to go to bat for you and give you an opportunity, and B, when someone needs something, everyone in the hockey community knows each other, they'll put you forward if you do good work. Um... And that's kind of how I would approach it is there's there's so many opportunities at university just to kind of reach out. They're the most accessible people to get at because all of their emails are listed and you can quite literally just show up at the hockey rink. Um, but you have to do good work. Like you can't just show up and be a fan um, and not really do anything. Um, and I will warn you, you will get more work than you asked for. Um, I it still happens to me to this day and you just have to love it and you got to do it because if you're helping them, then they're going to keep coming back to you. You're going to build that trust. And that is how you get other opportunities. All right. And on that note, I think we're going to get out of here. I've got to go to a uh, comedy show tonight that me and my girlfriend are going to Joe Coy. If you've heard of him, he's a half Filipino uh, comedian. My girlfriend's Filipino. I'm white. A lot of jokes that are going to be coming. We're going to be sitting in the front row. I'm kind of terrified that I'm going to get You should be absolutely terrified because you are a white ginger dude. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of jokes to go with. And if he asks me what I do and I have to tell him sports writer, that's just a joke in itself just waiting to happen. So uh, looking forward to it. Should be a good time. Also going to a Clippers game where I'm sure Kawhi Leonard is going to be load managing. And I'm going to a LeBron Zion game on the Tuesday. This is all after a week in Vegas where I may or may not die. So I'm hoping I come back in one piece from this trip, but I might not. We'll see what happens. I'm already in uh, two pieces. Um, I have a giant knee brace on right now, and I am leaving for Florida, so there will not be a podcast next week um, as both Ian and I are away. And I am... I have no shame in saying this. I'm going to Disney World, and I don't want to hear anything about hockey while I'm there. And um, unlike the me, only Rachel hockey... isn't willing to record from a coastal destination, but I'm putting in that extra effort recording from a closet here in L.A. Just saying, Ex- that's dedication to my craft. Exactly, and um, the only hockey I will be dealing with is my York team, because we're in the playoffs, and six wins from a national championship, so... That's where my focus is. 
and you should so, go to Universal Studios because I went to the one I in am. Hollywood. We should compare and contrast stories. I have. We should. I've been to Universal Studios uh, more times than I care to admit. Um, but yeah, there will be no podcast next week because Ian and I are kind of, I guess, just hanging out, taking a break. But two weeks next Tuesday, there will be a new Staffing Graph podcast with. Well, Ian won't be tanned, but I will be. And maybe my knee will function by then. And maybe you I'll tan? have a car. You're so yeah. white. How do you tan? Well, I'm half Chinese. So. <laughs> I'm like the most boring background. If you did my 23 and me, it would be, congrats, you're 98% UK <laughs> if you go way back. Great job, no. dude. <laughs> Yeah, so now I have what's... And you've chirped me for this. I have no steering wheel. I have no knee. And now we're going to have no podcast next week. So we're three for three. Yeah, we're uh, miss, missing a lot in action here. But enjoy your trip, Rachel. I'll see if I can survive the next few days here out west. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Staff and Graph Podcast. You can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass, and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and The Leafs Geeks Podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter, at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graff.